In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome in to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Did not think we were going to be having this conversation. We talked a month ago, Jesse, and um, we, we both thought that that was going to be it. We wouldn't be talking until December when signing day came around, and instead the Big Ten has brought football back. Wisconsin will play football this fall. They uh, will start the games October 23rd, 24th. We'll get a schedule coming up. It's going to be eight games. Uh, six against your division against the division two crossover games we'll find out what those crossover games are and then there's going to be a champions week uh the week of uh december 18th and 19th obviously the big 10 championship game will be played uh but then there will also be uh the other 12 teams that aren't in the championship game will also play whoever finishes it'll be east versus west whoever finishes in the same position playing each other um uh, so it'll be interesting but you know this has been a crazy six weeks for the Big Ten. Not exactly uh, ideal PR for the Big Ten, but they got to this point. That's what Barry Alvarez said. Bottom line is they're going to play football. No matter what's happened in the last six weeks, they're going to play football. What's your biggest takeaway from, I guess, what we've seen in the last six weeks and that there is going to be a football season? I think roller coaster is a good word to use for this, and it goes even further back than that, right? Because over the summer – the Big Ten dumped the non-conference games, and then they came up with this conference-only schedule, and less than a week later, the Big Ten pulled the plug on it, and I'm with you. I, I thought that was a wrap for the camp. I thought that was a wrap for Big Ten football in 2020, but the biggest change, and, and this is why the conference presidents and chancellors felt confident in making this decision, is the ability to more rapidly test players and get results, and now we're at a point where players are going and coaches are going to be able to be tested daily so that you can step onto a practice field and have a clean practice field, or you have the ability to more easily identify people who have the coronavirus have tested positive and then they can be isolated. And so obviously that is the single biggest piece to the puzzle here. Why we've gone from an 11 to three vote against moving forward with a season to now this unified front of we're going to play a season unanimous unified front. <laughs> It was a unanimous vote. Right. So it's interesting to me on the timing of this. I thought one, one interesting thing Barry said was that there were basically four different schedule schedules uh, options that they were going through. One of them was an October 17th start, which would give you a bye week. Now they're starting the 23rd or the 24th, eight games in eight weeks, no bye week. So there's no wiggle room whatsoever. If, if a team has a lot of positive tests, that's why I thought the initial schedule was so good because you had three weekends available that if something happened, you could reschedule and that ain't happening anymore. Right. And to be, I mean, I think we're both on the same page in the idea that they shouldn't, and, and maybe I, I guess I shouldn't say, I'm not going to speak for you. In my opinion, they shouldn't have postponed when they did. They should have let it play out kind of like the SEC has let it play out. You're going to have positive tests. You're going to have players have to go into, you know, the 14 days and you're going to, like we saw with Tennessee where they had a, like 44 players test positive uh, or, you know, be in the contact tracing and have to cancel a, a scrimmage like that was going to happen. But by the time September 26th rolled around, you were going to have things in place and testing in place that would, you know, significantly advance from 
early August. And that honestly is what has happened for the Big Ten uh, with, this, with this antigen test that's going to be able to detect whether you have anything whatsoever in your, in your, in your system, you know, even the smallest uh, of, the, of COVID in your system. And then you can get tested again, you know, the full test to find out exactly if you have COVID-19 or not. Those tests, it, it just felt, I don't know, overreactionary in the Big Ten's part. And instead of, you know, having that built-in schedule that would have been able to play out the way that the SEC is going to play out, now the Big Ten has kind of put itself in a bit of a corner here and having to play eight games in eight weeks and knowing that a positive test is going to sideline a guy for 21 days. And that, that is going to be very difficult. And we'll talk about the, I guess, the odds of them able to get through the entire season without having to postpone a game. And we've seen, I think, 13 games postponed so far throughout the country, which you know, all things considered, isn't that big of a number, but they've put themselves in a bit of a tough position scheduling-wise trying to play eight games in eight weeks. Right, and to your point about when the Big Ten made this decision, as we mentioned before, some things have changed in terms of the ability to test. I also think that there was significant concern around the myocarditis, the the heart issue, and it it seems that as time has passed, people feel more comfortable with the ability to identify and detect things that would make the conference feel that these players will be safe or as safe as you can be during a pandemic. To me, the, the interesting thing about how all of this has developed is that if all five power conferences had fallen in line and decided not to have a season at some point in August, obviously there would have been a massive uproar all over the country, especially in SEC country, I imagine. But we wouldn't have college football. But the, the Big Ten was, was pressed into action here because of the uproar created by players, by parents, you name it. But then you had the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 moving forward with the season, and Notre Dame as well as playing. And it's really hard as a conference to sit there and watch all of these other schools play their seasons, and you have to answer to why aren't these teams playing. I, I, I remember when the AP Top 25 came out and there were nine ranked teams uh, that weren't going to be playing. And it just felt like this, this is crazy. And, and now all those other teams were playing. So the big 10 teams will be ranked again. It's it's there's no pac 12 here, but the about face that the big 10 has made uh, it's, it's certainly one of the more remarkable storylines in, in recent college football history. For you, how much of the pressure of the parents of the coaches, you know, this, the outside social media pressure, do you think that significantly made an impact here? Or was it that impact pushing medical things? Like I saw a tweet and I I kind of agree with it is you could have all the protesting you want by the coaches, the players, by parents, by everybody. And it would not have mattered for the big 10 if you weren't able to figure out the medical aspect of it. I, I agree with that. And I, and as much as, you know, I think it's great that people fought for the season, but I think still it comes down to those things being overcome as opposed to people congregating outside of the Big Ten headquarters near Chicago. I agree 100% with you. It's difficult to quantify what level of pressure was created by having parents protest and having coaches be as outspoken as they were, but ultimately this decision was left in the hands of the presidents and chancellors. And they're not going to make their decision based on whether they upset some people. They want to be as safe as possible. And to me, that's why I agree with you. The fact that they are able to have this rapid testing is, as it's been said before, the game changer in this equation. If you don't have that, if you don't have access, if you have a test and players don't know whether they have coronavirus or not for two or three days, 
it's just impossible uh, to go forward with a season and feel like everybody is going to be as safe as they can. So to me, that's why we're at where we are right now. But obviously from an, from an optics standpoint, you know, there was a lot of backlash against the big 10, especially when all these other conferences were moving forward. Ultimately though, we do have a season. Uh, I don't know whether we'll get all eight games in, as you mentioned, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but it's nice to have something to look forward to that's football related because it's just been, it's just been an off season of disappointment and tumult and, and it's obviously unprecedented. So we'll, we'll see how this whole thing plays out. I, I think that there's a, uh, a majority of the people that are listening to this wanted desperately to have college football. There's, I mean, you're not listening to this. If you're not a college football fan. And, and certainly we are fans of college football, at least in, in some campuses on in the big 10 and specifically Wisconsin, the outbreak of cases, the, the current quarantine of uh, a couple of dorms on campus, and uh, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, it was a 20% positive rate within the state. To bring the players back, to bring football back, to bring the, all, the, all these resources to bear to get a football team back on, on the field, is there any part of you that kind of looks at it and be like, this doesn't necessarily feel right, or is it, hey – this it's football and we've this is not new they've always been treated differently and that's just the way it is honestly that is how I look at it I I I don't look at it like it's not fair I mean they've got access to testing that others don't right now because they're going to be able to be tested daily and another thing Barry said was that they've stressed to the players and this makes a lot of sense but the importance of being a leader in this community but really, for all of these guys who have put so much time into this, it's very important, I think, to send the message to them, and I know they already know, that if you slip up, if you make a mistake, if you go, go somewhere where you shouldn't be, you're jeopardizing this entire experience in this season for everybody on the team. And if you want it that badly, you have to hold yourself and others accountable. Um, but to your point about what this looks like from an optics standpoint, I, I don't really think it's even if you have classes that are online only and you're still bringing football players back, it always sort of has been a different deal, right, Zach? And the athletics department is losing a lot of money and there's not going to be fans in the stands, but having games at least with the TV contract can help financially. And if these players are tested daily and try to hold themselves accountable, then there is a pathway to playing a season as safely as you can. That said, there are going to be positive tests. This is just, there's a hundred plus guys on the team. There's dozens of coaches and, and, and other administrators on, on the team. To have zero for the months is hard for me to believe. Well, and that's the thing that we talked about with uh, Cole Van Lannen and, and Eric Burrell when this, this all came down. And Cole Van Lannen was, was pretty adamant about it. He said, you know, I would go to the grocery store and that's it. I would, I would be at the facility. I would go home. I would do nothing. Like I would, the only time I ever go out would be go to the grocery store. And so that, uh, that is um, – that's what they're going to have to do now too uh, to, to make it happen. And they, he said they didn't have positive tests for weeks, if not months before the, the shutdown. Unfortunately for them, they did have positive tests here since then uh, to the point enough to the point that they had to shut uh, football activities down. It was last week. It's this week. Uh, I believe they can get back to action as early as the 24th. I think is uh, I think is when they, they can return though. Barry Alvarez did say he was getting get with Paul Christ and with, the medical 
people to figure out, you know, when they'd be able to actually get on the field. So uh, I know that other, I know that even though they are not taking part in workouts at UW, based on social media, guys are working out other places. I saw a video out of Brian Bott, obviously, uh, Jesse, you know him, with, with his facility, the former UW assistant strength coach now has his own place out in Verona and uh, Jack Cohn and Jack Dunn and Garrett Groshek and some other guys were out there working out yesterday. And I'm sure that they're going to continue uh, to do that until they're able to get back into, you know, where... Uh, they normally are, but we'll get it. I, I, this was the question about kind of can they get all eight games in over under six games for Wisconsin football in 2020. I'll take the over because the other thing is what the threshold is for not being able to play a game. <laughs> I mean, that's, how many guys? That's what I was going to get to. Yeah, right. So you could have a cluster, I suppose, and still try to quarantine and play the season, I, I, it's a slippery slope, obviously, but there's a lot at stake here. And the other thing is you could do everything right, and the team you're playing could have an outbreak. So it's not just on Wisconsin's end. Uh, but I still think if I, I'm taking the over, and maybe that means they play seven games. I do think, though, as we have this Big Ten season with 14 teams and you're playing eight games apiece, and well, a ninth game now with that made-up interesting schedule with the – uh, the divisional opponents, somewhere along the way, there's going to be a cancellation. To me, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, I think it would be an, an absolute marvel if you get through this whole season and every team plays nine games in nine weeks. Yeah, I, did, I just don't see that happen, especially with what Rutgers came out and said today. They're, they're, I think their response to this whole thing has been tepid at best. I think that is how it would be described. Um, they essentially calling it week to week, uh, whether they're going to be able to play. So if you're a Wisconsin fan, you have to hope that they are not the one of the crossover games that you get uh, because, and they were the added crossover game when they went to that uh, 10 game schedule. Um, you certainly don't want them to be your crossover game because uh, of the way that they, they have, and, and their president has talked about it, but the positivity rate only has to be at 5% to shut things down over. And so it's a rolling weekly average. So it's not like if it happens one day, it's done. It's going to be over a seven day period, but it could shut things down right away. That's not that – I mean, as I said, and, and obviously the football team is different, but a 20% rate within the state and a lot of that happening in Madison at the university is uh, not that big of a, a number when it's 120 guys plus coaches plus trainers. There's a lot that could go wrong, obviously. And you can, you can make all the plans in the world and you can have this testing and access to it that a lot of other people don't have. And still you can have – an outbreak that could potentially prevent you from playing. So this thing is constantly evolving and changing. And, and even though we're sort of celebrating the return of Big Ten football today, that doesn't mean something else couldn't happen. You know, we've talked before, they came out with this full schedule and six days later, there's no season. So I don't think that's going to happen again, but it doesn't, mean that, it doesn't mean that things can't go wrong between now and October 23rd or October 24th. And from October 24th to that December 19th date, when you get to a conference championship game. So it's, it's evolving and none of us have the answers. The goal is just to put everyone in the best position to succeed and hope you can pull this off. So turning a little bit to a sold or not sold question, and this is probably going to be extremely unfair to Kevin Warren, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because he's been the face of, of this, despite him not being the one that made the decision. He has been a part of the, the, the lack of communication. Uh, that has been within the Big Ten, and um, he chose not to really address what's happened in the last six weeks. But 
Sold or not sold, Kevin Warren will be the commissioner at this time next year of the Big Ten. I'm sold on that. Uh, I mean, it, it hasn't been a good look for him or for the conference at, because of exactly what you said, the lack of communication. And it's been telling that you've seen Big Ten coaches speak out about this, that frankly, they haven't really had any idea what's going on because they haven't heard from the, the conference. But he's getting called on the, he was getting called on the carpet every single day by, it said, it was. Like a different coach every single day. And they weren't necessarily calling him out by name, but it was, it, I mean, that's who it was directed to. He's the one that is the, uh, the voice between the chair, the, the council of presidents and commissioners and the coaching and the AD. Like he's, he's the one that's supposed to be the, the voice of that. That's right. But ultimately if you wind up having this season in the end and you've got a big 10 team in the college football playoff and you've got several teams playing bowl games, then it was a circuitous route, but they got to a season. And so I think it would, as weird as it is to say, I think it would take more than that for them to dismiss the conference commissioner who hasn't been around for very long. It's just a very rocky start for someone in that position when I think all any of us have wanted is some transparency. And I think there was at least a little bit in the initial email from the Big Ten about how the conference came to this decision, but there are a lot of questions that remained. And as the front-facing individual for the conference, it would have been nice to hear some of those answers. So we may not have all of them, but we've gotten at least to a point where we have a season, even if it isn't how we envisioned it would happen. Yeah. Uh, sold or not sold, whoever wins the Big Ten, there will not be an asterisk next to it. I don't think there will be an asterisk if all these teams play their games. I don't know what it'll look like because that's the other strange thing is what if the East Division winner is 8 no? And the I mean, what does it go by winning percentage? Like, what if one team is well, seven and one, and one team seven and zero, oh, and they didn't get to play a game? I think that would be very bizarre, and it's likely possible. I mean, but I don't I don't think there will be an asterisk asterisk if you've got that many games played because all these teams get to play their entire division. They get a couple crossover games, and then there's going to be a conference championship game. So, if it's Ohio State Wisconsin, hypothetically, then that's a real game, and they're playing it all one day before the college football playoff committee makes its decision. So it, it won't obviously be on the same timeline as the SEC and Big 12 and ACC, but to me they would get enough games in that there's not an asterisk in my mind. It's not like Major League Baseball playing a 60-game season. I mean, they're not playing a 12-game regular season, but they'll play nine and – and they're playing the important opponents as well. So we heard like during this entire process that Paul Christ was behind the scenes, heavily involved in, in trying to get this back on track and uh, vocally, you know, behind the scenes getting, trying to get things back on track. Does that surprise you at all that, that it was him? Obviously we, we know that the, the outward going coaches, the, uh, the Scott, not even outward going, but just the guys that will say, you know, we'll talk, we have been talking Scott Frost, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, like they have been seemingly the guys that have been fighting. But Paul Chris behind the scenes has, has reportedly been among those fighting as well. Does that surprise you at all that he has been so active in trying to get back on the field? I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised by it. And, and who, who Paul Chris is in a, in a media setting is not necessarily who he is in any other setting. And I mean, obviously for all these coaches, like football is, is their lifeblood. I mean, that, that's what they do. And without it, you know, it's, it's, difficult to move forward but I think he's very thoughtful and even when we talked to him last time it was probably the most expansive I can recall him being and he addressed some of his concerns about how do you say you can play between the lines but then 
or, or, or you, how do you say you're going to space them out on the sideline, but then all these guys go between the lines and they're sweating on each other. And so I, I feel like he addressed some important concerns and it, it's clear how important this all is to him as you would think it would be. Um, but he is not the type of person who is going to be that Scott Frost and that Jim Harbaugh or Ryan Day who's going to release the type of statements that perhaps lambast the Big Ten or, or push the conference to reconsider. So that doesn't surprise me, and neither does the fact that, that he's been actively working toward trying to get this to turn around, even though we don't know exactly what that entails. How much of that do you think – I suspect it, would ma- it wouldn't matter, like, the type of team that he's going to have this year. Like, I think it would happen no matter what. But is there a little bit of extra more, extra there thinking the, the type of team that he could potentially put? Because I think that for Ryan Day, a lot of his push has been about the fact that they think they have a, a legitimate national title contender. I think James Franklin has felt the same way. Do you think, Paul, like the, the potential for this team has, uh, you know, maybe made him a little bit more active in trying to get things going? I honestly do not think that's what it's about for Paul. I mean, you, you and I have covered him for quite some time now and obviously having a good team is important but he would want to coach a season and be with his guys if they were going to be 0 and 8 this year and they're not because they're very good and so that's why it's a valid question but he always talks about the experience that these guys get you know he loves to use the word opportunity but that's a real thing with him it may sound cliche to us he's constantly talking about how these guys have a, a certain window of opportunity to play the games. He's always referencing Jack Sitchie's injury that you just never know when it's going to be the end. And even though all these guys were granted basically a, a free season, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So, no, I don't think that was really a consideration. He just wanted to fight for his guys and fight for this opportunity if he felt it was going to be safe enough for everybody to play. We, Wisconsin will get on the field here soon, but do you think that there is a disadvantage? I mean, they're going to end up, assuming they do get back on the field the 24th or 25th, and are able to start practicing, they're going to have that four weeks before the opener. Is there any disadvantage of not being able to play, not being able to take part in activities these, these two weeks? Because if you think about it, right as the, as the day that they shut things down, they took a two-week break. Then they came back and started doing activities, and now they have another two-week break that they've had to deal with uh, and uh, not be you know, within the program. Is there, is there a disadvantage there? Are they going to be disadvantaged come, come week one? Or is it- I don't think they will be. I think it – some of it may depend on what these other teams are allowed to do. I mean, when, when are you actually allowed to hold the first practice? And then when can you go to full contact? And I mean, we're still October 23rd, 24th is over a month out. So if, if it even takes another week for them to come back, I, I really don't think it's going to be a substantial disadvantage as long as you get those, I suppose, what would be four weeks of fall camp and you can work your way forward toward it. Yeah. I mean, if they were, if everything was going on right now, you know, they would, they've got these, or they had these 12 hour a week workouts, which I, I don't think is going to make the difference between winning and losing a game. So to me, no, as long as they get the four weeks of fall camp. Now, if you've got an outbreak of some sort and you have to take a two week pause leading into the start of the season, that is a significant disadvantage. But at this point, I, I don't think so. Okay. All right. So we've talked about all the off the field stuff. Let's go a little bit on the field stuff and, and talk about this team as in general. We did a uh, essentially a preview <laughs> a month and a half ago, you know, a month and a half ago, I think late July is when we did it, but Wisconsin did not have anybody opt out. Wisconsin did not have anybody decide to transfer that we know of. Uh, so we, they have the same team that we talked about before, but has anything changed in your mind 
since then? Has any, have any of these position battles gone up, gone down based on what has happened over the last month and a half or two months, I guess? Absolutely nothing has changed yeah. if everybody's still on the team. As long as these guys get the opportunity to have that fall camp and practice for four weeks, and unfortunately you and I and the rest of the media contingent won't be privy to those practices, so we can't bring the listeners any additional information. That That's honestly been one of my favorite parts of the season is that that August, generally it's in August, that the preseason camp when we can figure out who's going to play where, who's closing the gap, so we'll have to rely on Zoom interviews. But no, to me nothing's changed. Um, I do wonder what some of those position battles will look like if you get these four weeks. I mean, I suppose it's no different from if it happened in August. Right. Some of these, some of these guys have been around the program for so much longer now. If you're an early enrollee, for example, I mean, you've been here like 10 and a half months by the time the season starts. So granted, you haven't had a ton of practices at this point, but how much can that help you? Or how yeah. much does it help somebody who was a freshman who wasn't an early enrollee that has now had these additional few months. I think that's going to be really interesting to see whether those types of guys can close the gap. All right. So let's talk about some of those position battles. What is the one on offense that has your attention the most? Well, <laughs> the, the storyline person in me wants to see some type of quarterback uh, competition of some sort, just yeah. because of the Graham Mertz factor and how good can he be? But I still think it's going to be Jack Cohn. We, you just can't, uh, understate the or overstate the leadership aspect. You know, he 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 gave that. They had players, you know, talk on campus. Just was that last week or two weeks ago, Where talking they, about some of the inequality on campus. Yeah, the march, the march they went on. And you know, I I think it's telling that Jack, who to me at least initially coming in was not the most vocal person is one of the guys giving a talk there. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you are the starting quarterback, but I just think there are all these sort of intangible components in addition to what he did on the field that lead me to believe he's going to be the guy. But to answer your question, running back, I'd really like to see what the heck happens there. Is Jalen Berger a guy who can get some reps? Is Nakia Watson really the guy who's going to get 20, 25 carries a game? Does John Settle decide to have three different guys get 15 carries or something like that? 15 carries and I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it'll yeah. look like. Why, why not? They're going to run the ball 45 times. Uh, are they? Are they? <laughs> Probably. I, don't, I mean, I, I, depends what they have at wide receiver, which is my other, you know, we know it's Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, but can some of those younger guys emerge? They've got a lot of talent. So I really don't have, like after talking to Joe Rudolph this offseason, I have a pretty good sense of what their two deep is on the offensive line, even though it's going to be different. Yeah. A lot of guys we're used to and some young guys waiting in the wing. So to me, it'd be running back, where do things stand in the two deep at wide receiver? Could we get some type of quarterback competition? Yep. I love I love fall camp because you get to see the true freshmen for the first time, the ones that we don't get to see in spring ball. You get to see, and obviously we didn't get spring ball either. So, you know, we haven't seen these guys in practice since it's been 13 months, right? Because it's September, the middle of September. We usually get kicked out of practice in the middle of August. So it's been 13 months since we've seen any of these guys in practice. But what we know, you know, is that, uh, so I, so I personally would have been interested to see Jalen Perger and Chimray uh, DK. Where's Logan Brown in his comeback from his injury? And you know some of these other guys. The, the who's going to step in behind Jake Ferguson at tight end? We get to see Hayden Rucci and get to see Clay Cundiff and that and that type of stuff. Like we, I want to see those guys. And and unfortunately, you're not going to be able to do it. That that is that's the thing that I'll miss the most. Those those are the guys that I really want to see. And also Graham Mertz as well because. 
as uh, good as Jack Cohn was last year and was clearly the guy coming out of fall camp, he was the starter, there was no doubt. Graham was not that, that far off, right? He wasn't like – it wasn't uh, a situation where it was – he was, it was so clear that it was, you know, decided the second day of practice, you know. So those are the things that uh, we're not going to see. But in terms of uh, position battles that stand out for me, it is, it is going to be running back because that is the key position for Wisconsin no matter what. And Garrett Grosch is going to be your third down back. Other than that, we don't know anything. Where is Isaac Garendo? Julius Davis? Jalen Berger, as you mentioned, and Nikia Watson, those four stand out. And, and um, you would think Nikia Watson would be that guy? We don't know. Defensively, so many guys back that there's very few position battles, perhaps outside of outside linebacker. And what do you do at safety? Those would right. be the ones that would stand out to me. For you, what about, what about you? Yeah, outside linebacker to me is probably the one I'm most interested in just sure. because you, you lost an All-American. And even though they've been rotating All-Americans in there, I don't know that they have one of those on, on the roster right now. You might have some in a couple of years just because the young talent at outside linebacker is very good. But Noah Burks is one guy. Yep. And then is Isaiah Green May the other guy? Because the weight issue has been ongoing for him. And I thought it was really interesting. And we haven't seen updated rosters for this season. That's, that's the other, that is the other thing <laughs> I'm very excited about. And I know yes. it's so ridiculously stupid, but that is the No, one. it is not. <laughs> it's like it's just everyone, everyone else had updated their – like the rest of the Big Ten had updated their rosters. And Wisconsin's still sitting there with 2019 from last fall. We didn't get an updated roster in the spring. Uh, I shouldn't say we got an updated roster in the spring, but like it hasn't been updated online since last fall. And so you're sitting there and you're just waiting. And I know Brian Mason is diligently working on that right now. He was probably happy that he didn't have to update the roster, but uh, that's the, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that you're just going to get my hands on that. Right, because the spring roster that we did had indicated that Green May lost weight, which I just didn't quite understand. You, I, don't, I don't know how you are in every down outside linebacker if you're losing weight when you're the type of build that he is. I don't think it's impossible. But anyway, is he the guy? Because we know, at, to your point about when we get to watch fall camp, he was one of those guys last fall. It was like him and Reggie Pearson. You're like, you, you see, oh, he's, sure. he has moved up to a point where he is absolutely a starter. So I don't know if it's him. And, and the other fr- candidates to me would be Jalen Franklin and Spencer Lytle. Spencer was injured last year. I think he's got a really good opportunity to see significant snaps. And Jalen, too. Jalen's got a build who's it's a look, probably more comparable to Green May. Um, but like Nick Herbig, yeah. an early enrollee with a lot of talent, who when I talked to Jim Leonard this summer, he talked about when they've had conversations with Nick he gets it. He just, he understands the system. It's very similar to the system he ran at his high school in Hawaii. He's a four-star talent and he was an early enrollee. So can he, he be one of those guys? Those are some of the players I'm looking at at inside linebacker. It's maybe less interesting as I think Leo Chanel will be the guy and Mike Maskelunas gets some reps. And then Muma Jong Mehta to me is probably the fourth guy, even though you've got some of these freshmen. Right. Safety is interesting too, though. I think the good thing about with, Leonard does is you know there's going to be five defensive backs on the field a lot sometimes it's three corners but sometimes it's three safeties because when they started the season last year against South Florida all three of those guys were on the field Reggie Pearson Scott Nelson Eric Burrell they were on the field to open the game so he's got a lot of weapons at his disposal it is it's really ridiculous how much returning experience is back in the in defensive backfield I don't know if there's a team anywhere that has that much returning experience so it's up to Leonard to figure out how to use those guys. 
And he's and and he has said that it's it's going to change on a daily basis. Like unless someone grabs it, he's going to continue to rotate guys through there. You would think Caesar Williams and Phelan Hicks had done enough. Uh, they were the guys at the end of last year, along you know obviously with um, and then Rashad Wildgoose being your nickel. But so many of those other guys have played minutes. I mean, Samar Melvin started against Minnesota, um, you know, and obviously and Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship because yes. I think Wild Goose was injured. Yeah, so I mean, they so and and he's a redshirt freshman. They were able to play him a few games and and keep his red or play four games, keep his redshirt. You know, Dante Burton's played, Deron Harrell's played. Go on down the list. Alex Smith got some time last year. Dean Ingram with redshirt last year. Like they, there are a number of bodies back there that have played a lot of minutes. And then, you know, Scott Nelson started his entire freshman year, his redshirt freshman year, misses, you know, gets hurt in the first game and now comes back and doesn't really have a spot because of how well Eric Burrell and Reggie Pearson played. Like, I don't, I don't ima- imagine or envision him just going back in and taking his starting role, right? I mean, that's, I think the starters are Burrell and, and, and Pearson and Scott would be worked back in somewhere. That's the impression I got when I talked to Leonard because he – Scott's coming from a place that he's coming off an injury and these other two guys were very good in their roles. I mean, last year out of camp, it looked like it's Nelson and Pearson and then Burrell kind of got knocked down, but Burrell was so good. And that it, you, I just don't envision a scenario where he's suddenly not in the top two and you still have Colin Wilder who could start at a lot of programs and at, at corner Leonard said, he feels like he has eight cornerbacks that he could put on the field and that includes Dean Ingram. And then the other seven, as you said, all have playing experience. But it does start with Fayon and Caesar. Those are your top two guys. And Rashad, who clearly showed that he was the top nickel corner and then working these other guys in. So it creates competition. I think you're going to – there's a scenario where you wind up with some unhappy campers, as we've seen in previous seasons. Hello, Dante Carrier-Williams. Right. That, you know, maybe it doesn't work out. But this is also a very unique season – You've got this free year of eligibility. I don't know what players would decide, but yeah, Leonard's got a lot of choices. I, uh, I'm still a bit shocked that all of them came back. You know, including Deron Harrell, I suppose. Inclu- especially Deron Harrell, and the the playing time there is just there's it's so much competition that I thought perhaps you know maybe if there was spring ball, maybe they would have. Uh, they fight through spring ball, and they're still further enough down in the depth chart that uh, that they decide to move on, but. Yeah, that was, that's, that was a little bit of a surprise for me. The biggest questions are special teams, aren't they? I mean, like the, 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 the under-the-radar yes. biggest questions are special teams because the kicker, you would think, would be Colin Larsh, but who the hell is going to be the punter? And we don't know. I, I have no idea <laughs> because we don't even know the eligibility status at this point of um, the kid uh, Andy Vujnovich from Dubuque. Division three. So, I mean, Connor Slickton is the only returning guy that was on the team last year. They lost four of the six guys that were either punters or kickers off the roster last year. Uh, Colin Larsh and Connor Slickton, the only ones at back. And so, you know, Colin Larsh, seven for seven inside of 30 yards, five for 11 outside of 30. Yep. Not going to get it done, right? No, but who are you going to put in instead? You've got a lot of, you've got some young guys that you could potentially evaluate. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, there's – I think it'll be Larsh. I think he's done enough to at least continue in that role initially. I'm more interested in who's going to be the punter. Jack Van Dyke, Gavin Myers are a couple freshmen that are coming in. But even at – we were talking about Vujnovic. His 
his average was 36.7 yards. And if you had a team average that, you'd be near the bottom in the FBS. So I think it's going to be a struggle to excel there. And the other question to me is the kickoff return man (laughs) because he lost Aaron Cruikshank, who was one of the best in the country, really. So I think a guy like Isaac Arendo could take on that role. It's definitely going to be someone speedy who they know will have some ball security. But that, to me, is is going to be interesting, too. They're all good questions, and they're all questions that we'll uh, try and answer. I mean, we'll, I guess we won't get answers into until the week leading up to that first game when that first depth chart comes out. I mean, we'll try and grab some stuff, snippets out of Joe Rudolph and, and uh, Jim Leonard when they they're hold their Zoom. I know we'll get nothing out of Paul Chris uh, <laughs> as to where guys are lining up and that type of stuff. But it's, it's going to be a season like no other. I did before we – Move on. Pretty big uh, recruiting. Uh, I was going to say, we made it this yeah. deep into the podcast and we yeah. haven't mentioned a certain five-star commit. I wanted to get so to go that. Ahead. Yeah, I wanted to get to that because that was, that was a huge one for Wisconsin. They get the commit from Nolan Rucci, the brother of Hayden Rucci, the tight end that we talked about earlier. Everyone, obviously, that is listening to that knows that, and it was a big reason as to why he chose Wisconsin. But you had the down low. You had it days before uh, it was actually announced. So you had your story all ready to go. Quotes from Nolan, quotes from his dad, Todd, who played in the uh, NFL, and quotes from his mom, Stacy, who I believe was an All-American at, at Penn State. Grew up two hours from Penn State, was a leg- was legacy recruit, spurns them, comes to Wisconsin. What was you, you know, when you talking to him, what, what was your biggest takeaway from the type of kid he is and, and his decision to come and choose Wisconsin over Penn State? You know, there may be some people who aren't around the program or just see a five-star guy commit to Wisconsin. But in this case, I can't say I'm shocked at all. And I don't think he's here if his older brother wasn't already at Wisconsin. And I think it was a unique position for Nolan in Wisconsin because when Nolan was going into the ninth grade, his older brother was being recruited by Wisconsin. So the family came out to Madison. And this is well before Wisconsin realized how good Nolan could be. Joe Rudolph is just the type of guy who wants to connect with people, who sees a guy who's an offensive lineman, whose dad had so much success. He called Nolan into his office, and they had a one-on-one for about 45 minutes to an hour where they just talked football. They broke down film. Joe got a sense of who Nolan was. And Nolan was able to get a sense of Joe. And he felt like that was a really important moment. Nolan did because this is the first major college football coach who's taking an interest in him. And Wisconsin was really recruiting Nolan without recruiting him because they were recruiting his older brother. Nolan was getting this experience of being around the program. And it wasn't until more than a year later when Wisconsin offered Nolan a scholarship. And that was the first scholarship offer that Nolan had. So it was very unique, especially for a kid from Pennsylvania to have this experience with a staff. And he just felt so comfortable and they continued to visit because Hayden is playing for the Badgers. So that's where things started, obviously. And the older brother factor to me is obviously the single biggest reason why Nolan picked Wisconsin. His parents were tried to be fairly hands-off with this process because when you're a five-star recruit, as you can imagine, the attention is insane. Nolan took a break in the spring, I think, for a week. And he came back and he had over 800 notifications from coaches trying to talk to him. He had a top nine of the top programs in the country. But Wisconsin stayed at the top, and when he told his parents about his decision, his parents mentioned to me that they didn't realize how important it was for Nolan to play with his brother because they, they just they didn't want to be all up in Nolan's business, basically. When it was his time to make a decision, he would make one. So it certainly helped that he was able to visit a lot, because in his top nine, there were 
a couple schools that he, there were three schools that he wasn't even able to visit uh, because of the coronavirus shutdown. So you, you, those three came out right away. And ultimately, Wisconsin's ability to recruit him and Hayden being here were the biggest factors. And Todd said, because there's a lot of pressure to go to Penn State, it was like, Penn State has to have this kid. He's the top kid in Pennsylvania. You can't lose him. His dad played there. His dad said, don't you dare for a second think that you have to make some decision because I went there. You don't have to follow in your father's footsteps. That's not going to make you happy. You, you have to decide what's best for you, and only then is it going to make you happy. So it's, it's a huge deal. It looks like Wisconsin stole a kid or something like that, but this has been years in the making, and it says an awful lot about where Wisconsin is as a program particularly on the offensive line, because for all the great offensive lines they've had, 2010, 2011, the two best offensive lines probably ever. From a talent standpoint coming in, this is as good as it's been. They've got seven guys in the last three recruiting classes, 2019, 2020, 2021, that are four or five-star players. Logan Brown was the first five-star guy in 12 years. Now they've got Nolan Ritchie, and Jack Nelson was bumped up to a five-star by the 24-7 sports analysts. So purely from a talent perspective coming in, this is the best Wisconsin has ever had. And I can't say they're going to live up to those, those groups. And maybe it's not fair that Wisconsin wasn't evaluated as highly at that time a decade ago, but they certainly are now. So kudos to the coaching staff for putting together what will be the best recruiting class in the online ranking era, breaking the record of 2020, which broke the 2019 class. Yeah, it's, it's been an impressive three years. And yeah, I mean, six, uh, seven of the top 20 recruits of the recruiting rankings era have come in these last three classes, Graham Mertz and six offensive linemen. They, they continue just to rack up the big, the big names along the offensive line. The 2021 class, top player in Pennsylvania, top player in Minnesota, top player in Wisconsin, and then uh, the number two player in Iowa. I mean, it's just – and Daryl Peterson just got bumped up to a four-star recruit by 24-7 sports. So you add another four-star recruit to the group. It's an insane haul, and 2022 could potentially be – on that same level if they're able to lock in the in-state prospects. The biggest question for Paul Chris coming into his tenure at Wisconsin was recruiting. Has he been able to quiet every single one of the skeptics? And I'll put myself in there as well. I questioned it as well. He, he answered that at least four years ago for me. But do you think he has been able to shut everybody up? And, and it's not just him, obviously. It's the people around him. But has he been able to do that? If there's anybody left complaining about that, you probably need to get a life. There's just, yeah, I don't know how you could be disappointed or upset with where Wisconsin is headed and the trajectory the Badgers have in recruiting. And, and to your point, I, I was going to say that he's done a great job of delegating authority to his assistant coaches. And I remember talking to John Settle about this before fall camp last year, about some of what's been some of the differences. And it's really the freedom that Paul gives his assistant coaches to evaluate players and make decisions where it sounded from talking to Settle that perhaps under previous staffs and, and Settle had been there before and under, under different coaches that maybe it was more of the head coach making a decision. And, and that's not to say Paul doesn't have the final say on matters as the head coach, but these, these coaches are able to identify players that they think are fits and then go after them. And that has helped a lot. And Paul the type of person that he is, it really does seem to resonate with a certain type of recruit. And it's all the coaches on the staff. It's, it's, and again, this is going to sound cliche because I feel like whenever we talk about Paul, it, it sounds cliche, but there's something to be said for that, the down to earth nature that these guys have and that there really doesn't, 
and this is me talking to parents and, and recruits, there's no BS with those guys. They're not coming in making promises that some of these other staffs might be making. And for guys who are getting recruited by a bunch of other schools, that's refreshing. And Wisconsin's been on the cusp of making the playoff. And that you can't, you can't discount that as well. That a lot of these guys want to be a part of something that has never happened before. Hunter Wooler is a great example. 2021 safety. Now he's in state, so Wisconsin had an advantage, but he very well could have gone to Ohio State. But when he came to visit last December, and his dad was telling me this, he's sitting in, in Paul Chris's office, and conversation turns to going to the playoff and winning a national championship. And it's just like, why can't we do this? And so there's clearly talk around the building about it. There's talk from the recruits that are coming in. Graham Mertz saying that he wants to help him win a natty, obviously, is probably the most famous recent example. And Cam Large said it too, the tight end, who's coming in in this class, who had a number of great options, was talking to his dad about, you know, sorry, but we're not going to be playing in the Rose Bowl like they did this year. We're going to be competing for a college football playoff spot and a national championship spot. They want to be a part of that. So there's a lot of factors that are building up that are allowing Wisconsin to get some of these guys, I think. Yeah, and they will have an opportunity to try and do that, an un- unexpected opportunity to try and do that this year as the Big Ten is back in play. They get, will get the season going October 23rd or 24th, and Wisconsin will find out their schedule uh, later this week. Uh, six division opponents, two crossovers, and then we'll see if they're able to get everything in. But I'm so glad to be able to be back and talking Wisconsin football, and we'll try and do this uh, on a weekly basis once they do get things going, practice, and should be a good season. Jesse, I'm really glad to see you. <laughs> You too, Zach. Even if it's virtual, it's good to be back on the camp, and I'm glad we have actual football to discuss all season. So thanks in advance for everyone who's going to listen. Yep, for sure. Until next time, you've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.